The reading of the Scriptures from Acts chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 5, invite your reverent, joyful hearing, but mostly hearing in faith. The Word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, we are uh, uh, transitioning from uh, the poetry, uh, Old Testament, Book of the Psalms, to uh, uh, historic uh, narrative uh, literature, Much more than that, but again, sweeping change in terms of types of literature. Uh, And as we look at these uh, first five verses, uh, I have something of an intention to give you an overall view of the uh, entire book of Acts. And uh, one of the the lessons that I uh, uh, withdraw from, certainly... uh, uh, my studies is uh, simply the the importance of uh, of uh, continuity in the book of Acts, uh, because here there is a seamless continuity between uh, Jesus and uh, the apostolic ministry, uh, and certainly that engages uh, much of what we will study as the apostles go out. And the fact that they go out really under the authority of Christ, and uh, there is a Again, seamless continuity in that work. Uh, There's also a seamless continuity in uh, many of the churches that the apostles will plant in their gospel preaching. Uh, But there is is a more compelling uh, issue for us, uh, and that is our continuity. Uh, with the work of God in uh, then and 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 our work of God here uh, at uh, Grace Bible Church. Uh, so as we as we study the Book of Acts, um, I would ask you to ponder that continuity. Long ago and far away is uh, the historical record of this book, uh, but uh, we are here. And is there a measure of continuity? Uh, specifically, are we doing and believing what uh, they did and what they believed? Uh, and, and some of you may be saying, that doesn't really go without saying. I don't really think it goes without saying at all. Uh, because it's my uh, sad conviction that you know, many churches are in wholesale abandonment uh, with historic continuity uh, uh, between the Trinity and uh, between the establishment of uh, the people of God and church, uh, not just in content, that goes without saying, uh, but also in the progress of, uh, of the gospel. Uh, 
there are on occasions in which we will come across uh, discontinuity. Uh, and, and of course, we'll have to, we'll have to address that. Uh, for example, uh, I, I, I admit to you my own discontinuity uh, uh, between, between myself and the book of Acts. Uh, in the sense that I am not an apostle. I know it's somewhat fashionable for some churches today to be led by apostles. Uh, to me, uh, I, I think they're errant. Uh, there's another discontinuity that I confess to you uh, between myself and the book of Acts. Uh, the apostles in this book will engage in incredible majestic acts of healing. I simply cannot do that. Uh, but I would be in hopes that is uh, in the majesty of the preaching of the word uh, that uh, souls might be healed, uh, built up. So perhaps in the discontinuity, there is a measure of continuity. Uh, here in uh, the first five verses, uh, the agents of the Lord uh, have their commission validated uh, by Him, and they're commanded to wait for the Spirit to empower them. Uh, the essence of this text is really something of a prologue to Pentecost. Uh, uh, Luke, uh, uh, in the first three verses, makes a transition from his Gospel uh, to his uh, second uh, volume here for the man who is perhaps his patron. Uh, the name Theophilus is a literally loved or uh, the friend of God. Uh, that sense a beautiful reminder of, uh, of something of perhaps our own uh, patrimony, uh, perhaps uh, our own sense of patriarchy, uh, men who are the friends of God, loved of God. Uh, majestic... Uh, continuity in the sense of this man as a patron for Luke to enable him to engage in his own apostolic ministry as well as his own literary works. Theophilus was a Roman citizen and Christian. Uh, Luke's uh, gospel, uh, as stated here, uh, concerned uh, something that's very significant. Uh, verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and to teach all that Jesus did and taught until the day He was taken up in the grandeur, the majesty of His session to the throne, the throne of God, an incredibly significant marker for us because it is the inauguration of the kingdom of, uh, of, of Messiah. Uh, but Luke is establishing continuity, is he not, between what Jesus did and taught and what the apostles are going to do. And in a measure, there is uh, something of the lesson of continuity in our own church. Are we doing a measure of what they did and what they taught? The, the illusion here uh, is very important, comes from the uh, Gospel of Luke, again, uh, I would entitle something of Volume 1, Book of Acts, Volume 2, uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 47 to 49. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name 
to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Uh, That's why uh, they are in Jerusalem, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth a promise of my Father upon you, uh, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power uh, from on high. Uh, This is a recapitulation of their apostolic commission. Uh, It's also a reminder that they need uh, empowerment to fulfill it, and uh, that is why they're to stay in the city until that power comes upon them. Uh, The outworking of the commission as well as the power uh, is found in the book of Acts, or volume 2 of uh, Luke's famous work. Uh, And there is, therefore, a continuity between the gospel and Acts uh, in the commission of uh, the apostles uh, as well as the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But there also is for us as well because the commissioning belongs to each of us as individuals and, of course, this church in content and in proclamation. Most everyone agreed to the proclamation part, but the content, again, is just as significant. Uh, And, of course, uh, the realization that the commissioning and its content are imperatives. Uh, They're not just for a few special individuals. Uh, They're not just for missionaries. Uh, For each one of us as individuals. Uh, Content and commission. There's also the uh, majestic reminder that we, uh, like the apostles, uh, need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for uh, unless He comes upon us in baptism, uh, in our coming to faith, and uh, His continuing presence in our lives, uh, we will have no power. In absent power, uh, there will be no progress of the Gospel. That's why the Spirit comes, that the Gospel might advance. Uh, and if you will, there's an advancement of the boundaries of the Kingdom of Christ uh, until it covers the earth. That's uh, so why I was... Uh, I was uh, somewhat taken aback in our own small assembly uh, that we raised in excess of uh, $40,000 uh, for the work of God in two different continents. It's not a lot of money, but uh, given our size, in many respects it is because it's an expression of our continuity. Uh, but uh, escaping that, we're still reminded of our Uh, commissioning to the progress of the Gospel, the presence of Christ by the power of the Spirit, where we work and live and where we have our homes. Uh, The commission is uh, reinforced in uh, in, uh, the transition uh, stated for us in in, uh, verse 3. To these, again, His apostles and uh, the company were with them, He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the Kingdom of God. First, uh, He presented Himself alive. Uh, The Greek text is literally living. Christ is a living Savior. Uh, And during this period, He gave convincing proofs of of His victory. Uh, You... uh, you you cannot gloss over the incredible significance of that. That Jesus suffered, was buried, and He rose again. Uh, And these facts were validated by personal appearances 
eyewitnesses over a period of uh, 40 days. Uh, turn with me, if you would, uh, uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 uh, and uh, in verses 5 and 6. And after he appeared to, uh, pardon me, uh, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, uh, but some have fallen asleep. This is central for us, uh, that we receive the testimony of eyewitnesses. Uh, if you think about, for example, our own uh, legal institution uh, in these United States, uh, certainly in criminal law, much of it predicated on the necessity of eyewitnesses establishing legal fact. Uh, absent this, our faith is a delusion. But to the con contrary for us, it's a reminder that Christ conquered death. It is central to the resurrection. Uh, died and was buried, that He rose again on the third day. Central to our faith. Uh, the simplicity of that is recited over and over again uh, in uh, the Apostles' Creed. It read in many churches every Sunday in its centrality. Uh, but it's something, of course, uh, the commission and the content that we carry uh, everywhere. Not just to recite it in church, uh, but to uh, recite it uh, in our proclamations of the Gospel. A reminder that Christ is the only Shepherd beyond the grave. Uh, at the grave, every other shepherd turns back. Uh, and I say that to uh, remind you that uh, all religions absent the Christian faith built upon uh, the necessity of the resurrected Christ are utterly false. They all fail. I know our culture proclaims otherwise, uh, but the Bible uh, proclaims the truth, they all fail. Uh, they have no proof or eyewitnesses to resurrection. Therefore, they are all built upon fallacy. Uh, and they uh, are built to uh, lead people astray. Uh, you and I uh, uh, serve a risen Savior, and this is an essential element of our message. Uh, furthermore, uh, we will see in the book of Acts that the resurrected Christ will come again. Appearances to the Apostle Paul. Uh, but you must, you must not fail to reckon with this victory. Uh, our, uh, our greatest enemy in life, in terms of our physical being, is death. And uh, Christ beat it. And won for us, therefore, the greatest of victories of all. And if you believe and follow what He did and taught, uh, you will too. Because of Him. Uh, not because of anything in yourself, but because of Christ alone. Uh, it is the reason as Christians, as a people of God, or a people of hope. Uh, profound hope. Incredible hope. Uh, it ought to infuse every aspect of our living. Uh, uh, we uh, are living in a culture that so many lose hope. Uh, incredible rise of uh, suicide, uh, substance abuse, 
uh, people who vacate hope. No reason to live. Uh, no reason because there's no higher calling. Uh, there's no greater king. Uh, we're just simply uh, uh, passing in a physical world and there's nothing that roots us or grounds us that is central to our very being in essence. Uh, you and I are different because of the resurrected Christ. And uh, that should uh, infuse us with hope. Uh, and we should always be reminding people that we believe and hope in the resurrection. Uh, uh, because it is uh, so, so uh, essential. Uh, secondly, the post-resurrection appearances were over a period of 40 days. Uh, this is uh, more than a continuous and repeated uh, substantiation of the resurrection. Uh, Forty days. Uh, what do I mean when I say that it's more than uh, a substantiation of his resurrection? Our faith is built upon eyewitnesses. Uh, we accept their testimony. We proclaim their testimony. Uh, but it is, I think, uh, an allusion to Old Testament uh, theology. Uh, namely, the wilderness uh, wanderings of uh, Israel were for 40 years. Uh, the, the, the number 40 uh, should not escape us. It's also a testimony of Jesus. Uh, for example, Mark chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, 40 days. Let's, let's turn to uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, and uh, look at uh, uh, the illusion Mark chapter 1, verse 13, he was in the wilderness. Uh, it, it, it should trigger a reminder that there's something going on here on a national level and something uh, that's remarkable in the presence of Christ. He was in the wilderness for how long? For 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Uh, he will beat our enemy. Absent his victory, none of us will beat him because we cannot. We, we simply do not have the substance of power. Tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Uh, the wild beast may be a reference to his dominion uh, because Adam was given dominion over the beasts of the field. Christ is exercising it. How is that? Because he's the greater Adam. Uh, you and I know him as uh, as as the Messiah, uh, but it is an echo that the twelve apostles are a reconstitution of Israel as the true uh, people of God. Uh, let me document this by having you turn to Isaiah chapter forty-nine. Uh, I know many people in uh, church life today uh, struggle with this. Uh, and therefore they reject the reconstitution in the Twelve Apostles and certainly uh, uh, in our own lives. But Isaiah chapter 49, verse 3. One of the great servant songs. Simply going to look at uh, verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Uh, the fulfillment of this song uh, is, is held quite uh, universally uh, notwithstanding the Jewish religion, 
to be in Christ uh, as uh, the great servant son. And notice that he is renamed. How is he renamed? You are my servant Israel. In whom I will show my glory. And therefore, as these servant songs are fulfilled in the Gospels, and they are, uh, Christ is reconstituting Israel. Israel failed in its ministry as a servant, and the servant son picks it up to prosecute it totally successfully. And all who are in Christ are identified with Him as, uh, as Israel. Uh, and therefore, part of our commission is as servants. We serve a risen Savior. Uh, we serve to expand uh, the glorious presence of the risen uh, Son. It's who we are. Uh, and it is something of what we do in our own commission and in its content. Thirdly, uh, Christ spoke to them of the kingdom of God. Uh, this phrase, uh, kingdom of God, is uh, used eight times in the book of Acts. Uh, its last use is in Isaiah chapter 28 uh, in verse 31. Uh, preaching, this is of the Apostle Paul. He's in Rome. What is he doing? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. It's a framing device. The technical term is called inclusio, but it indicates for us a major theme of the book. It also helps us understand the nature of the kingdom as it is defined in everything in between the two markers. And we will learn in the book of Acts that it is now present because uh, the king has taken his seat at the right hand of God the Father. And, uh, and the kingdom is the reign and the rule of God both seen and unseen. So that heaven has invaded the earth. It won a great victory. And heaven now commissions its followers uh, to expand the presence of God geographically. It's the point of uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And it's, that geographic progression is really uh, the entirety of the book of Acts. Uh, but is more than historic geographic progression. Uh, it's, a, it's theological reality. I once had a had an uh, acquaintance of mine say, "We well, you know there's really no theology in the Book of Acts. It's all history." I just thought to myself, "Incredible, incredible statement," uh, because it's a theological progression of an eschatological fulfillment. If you miss that, uh, you miss one of the great truths of the book of Acts. The continuity between the Testaments. So that the message of Acts is that the end time restoration and kingdom has begun and continues with divine agents and word prosecuted by human agents and words. Uh, and, and they come to success in spite of opposition. Uh, succinctly, God wins. How could he do otherwise? Uh, he won in Christ, but he will win with his church. He's consolidating his, uh, his victory uh, in the church. The word church is used uh, 19 times book of Acts. Uh, and the church is going to prosecute that, uh, that, that wisdom. Uh, the wisdom of uh, 
the resurrected Christ and the progress of the gospel. Uh, 19 times. I would suggest to you that uh, we are living in a culture in an age uh, in which uh, the church is just an afterthought. Uh, I say this on occasion because the radical uh, reality uh, uh, when I come to church, and I suspect it's not unlike many of you, is that, I mean, the church are vir- the streets are virtually uh, vacant. Sometimes there are young children playing in playgrounds. Uh, uh, just, you know, people go to church, I don't know, maybe three, four times a year, and they think they're radically committed to Jesus Christ. Uh, I know, sadly, uh, and certainly have seen the sad occasion of people just simply dropping out thinking that there's no significance. But the greater reality for us is there's profound significance. Uh, And that's why I think we will read of uh, the word church used 19 times in this book. Uh, And all that should occur. Because it's a church is to prosecute the witness. The word witness, both in singular and plural, is used likewise 19 times in the book of Acts. Uh, it is uh, it is a legal term, not unlike what occurs in courtrooms. They are prosecuting the legal uh, uh, witness of Christ uh, and the majesty of the legal work that He accomplished for us upon the cross. We tell that story. Uh, it is from, by the way, the word witness that we have our English word martyr. That we will read of martyrs in the New Testament. Uh, should it ever come to that, we, we must be prepared to be martyrs as well because we are witnesses of Christ and so constituted uh, by God the Father to be so. Illustration of this, uh, beautifully speaking, uh, in the uh, book of the Revelation. If you turn to Revelation chapter 11, uh, this word witness is used. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter uh, 11, the third verse. Jesus says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Uh, Don't have time to deal with the temporal element, uh, but my two witnesses. Who are the two witnesses? Uh, Greg Beal in his commentary in the book of the Revelation contends that the two witnesses are the two churches of Revelation 2 and 3, which Christ has no word of condemnation to. They're true witnesses. And therefore, it's a reminder that the church today represents the true witness of those churches. We we continue it. We progress in their ministry. And uh, we minister on the earth as the two witnesses of, uh, of Christ. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman uh, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's us. Uh, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, or the witness of Jesus. That's a church. The, the dragon is persecuting 
uh, the church because they hold to the testimony or to the witness about Jesus. That's you and me. You and me. The kingdom is also advanced in the divine word. Let's look at this because it constitutes a major theme. Eschatologically, I believe it's related to the great prophecies of the restoration of the book of Isaiah, beginning in Isaiah chapter 40. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, the word of God. Apostles' teaching. Continually devoted. This is the true church. Not on occasion. Not just in recitation of the Apostles' Creed. Continually devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Continuity. Essential. Look at chapter 6 and verse 7. And the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. But notice, the word of God kept spreading. The word of God has also invaded the earth. Christ was the eternal word. He has invaded the earth. Uh, and, and that invasion uh, uh, engages the living word of God going forth, spreading the kingdom, the boundaries of the majesty of the glory of God. Uh, recently uh, reading a history book on uh, the Normandy invasion. Greatest uh, invasion in the history of uh, warfare. 5,000 ships in that Normandy channel. Incredible number. Historic account of a major who's in a bunker and sees those ships and he knew instantly, he knew instantly upon looking at 5,000 ships that Germany didn't have a chance. When you see the invasion of the Word of God and the eternal Word of God upon the cross and the resurrection, the kingdom of darkness doesn't have a chance. There were 7,000 aircraft that flew on that day. But again, the invasion of Normandy pales in utter insignificance to invasion of heaven in the presence of Christ and His Word that is taking the earth. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. I've had people ask me, well, <laughs> what about today? Well, it's growing mightily and prevailing, perhaps in different continents. Uh, like our friend Tim Hope tells us, it's occurring in Africa. Maybe America is in the shadows. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Strategically, but I simply know that I begin to wonder uh, are we in the shadows? But in a strategic sense, the word growing mightily in places like China, uh, elsewhere. But it's a reminder for us that that's what we are to be engaged in, the word of the Lord. 
uh, that it might uh, progress mightily. Uh, there is, I think, and I want to look to this uh, just momentarily in terms of uh, continuity between old and new. Isaiah chapter uh, 45, uh, verses 22 to 24. Uh, there is something of an allusion biblically and theologically to what's occurring in the book of Acts and uh, what occurs in the great uh, prophecies of the restoration of the uh, second half of uh, prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45. Uh, verses uh, 22-24. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, it will not turn back. That's the point of the invasion. It will not turn back. It will conquer everything that God intends it to conquer and leave nothing untouched. Will not turn back will not be in retreat, can never be defeated because it's a word of God. That to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to Him and all who were angry at Him shall be put to shame. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. It's simply the theology of the word uh, attacking the earth uh, in, in victory. Uh, that you and I will study as we go through the book of Acts. But as a reminder, if you're not a Christian, uh, surrender and sue for peace uh, because opposition is futile and uh, fatal. And the kingdom will not be stopped. Uh, opposition is another element uh, that we'll study in the book of Acts. Uh, we should expect it in our own lives and uh, our own day. Uh, we see it... Uh, uh, we will see it in our own way in people like Ananias and Sapphira and the savage wolves of uh, Acts chapter 20. Uh, but nevertheless, our victory is certain uh, and our victory is uh, 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 final. And one day we will experience it. Uh, the other element of the, of the success of uh, the apostolic witness uh, prominent here in verses 4 to 5 is the promise of the presence of the Spirit. And Jesus gives instruction to this end. He commands His disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Spirit, uh, which they heard about uh, from Him. Uh, we will study numerous uh, allusions to the Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, certainly one of the most prominent we will look at when we come to uh, Acts chapter 2 because there's uh, incredible theological fulfillment in uh, Acts 2 of uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 28-29. Uh, and I remind you of that. This is not mere naked history. This is the history of uh, eschatological fulfillment and progression. Uh, eschatology is uh, one of the prominent themes of the book of Acts in the inauguration of the kingdom of our beloved Savior, and the expansion of His kingdom upon this earth. Theological fulfillment is everywhere here. But it's present. It's also present now. Uh, and this too speaks of the seamless transition between Father, Son, and Spirit, and the unity and continuity of the Godhead uh, and, of course, the two Testaments, uh, old and new. Uh, Joel, of course, is an illustration of eschatological fulfillment or the beginning of the end-time restoration. 
uh, one of the great uh, uh, academic uh, disciplines is understanding the use of the Old Testament and the New. Uh, many people reject uh, that sense of continuity, but uh, the writers of Scripture bring it to mind. But it, again, it's the story of eschatological fulfillment. If you, uh, if you miss that, uh, Acts will just be another history book on your shelf. should be otherwise. Uh, John's baptism was for repentance and the Spirit's for restoration. And that is now. It's occurring. And uh, we will study that in Acts 2. But the key is that it's the beginning of the end. Uh, the end times have begun. They've started. Incredible significance. That's why uh, I oftentimes have a broken heart. People who live seemingly insignificant lives have no real significance whatsoever. And so they do and serve tragic things and tragic ends. You and I should be entirely different because we are a people of incredible uh, divine significance. That the Son has invaded and finished His work. That's the point of Volume 1, the Gospel of Luke. Now the Spirit has invaded to ensure the success of the work by His empowerment, our study in the book of Acts. And the Spirit will also see the work to completion, and the Spirit cannot but succeed. Cannot but succeed. That uh, as part of that uh, continuous uh, ministry of uh, teaching presence of the Spirit, uh, we cannot but succeed. Uh, most uh, most uh, men and women, all who are outside of the church, to be sure, serve failed causes. Now, I don't say that in any sense of pride. Uh, it's only because of the power of the Spirit of God, continuity of the work of the Trinity, that you and I serve ultimately the only ultimately successful cause in all of the world. That tradition uh, should carry forward in our own lives and content and progress. Uh, it's a wonderful reminder in your life as an individual, in your life in the church, depend every day upon the Spirit. There is no day that you will ever live that you are not desperately dependent upon the grace of God and the presence of the living Christ by His Spirit in your life. Every day, you're dependent. You're dependent every day on the Word, the living Word that God has just told us will not turn back. And also continuity with agents and practice. And so this is the book of Acts. Uh, certainly verses 1 to 5, but the theology of the entire book. And one importance of our study is to benchmark or compare our work here to the content of the gospel preached in Acts and the progress of it in the churches of Acts and their missionary journeys. To the end, that my prayer would be that may that continuity 
in content and in practice be present in our lives and our church for the glory of the risen Savior and the Spirit who has come.